Hello and welcome to the Football First podcast with me, Amos Wynn. Each week I'll be welcoming a range of guests to discuss their memories of a beautiful game. Whether that is their first kit, first boots or the first match we went to, we shall be covering it. This series will be slightly different as we'll be welcoming different guests with connections to Southport FC. This week I'm joined by Doug Farm, who has been with the club since the summer. The defender started his career with Wrexham, where his experiences included playing at Ibrox in a pre-season friendly. Since then, he has spent time with Curzon Ashton and Connors Key. Following his move to Hague Avenue, he's established himself in Liam Watson's starting 11. So, much further ado, let's get into the podcast. Doug Farm, welcome to the Football First podcast. How are you? Cheers, mate. That's a pleasure to be here. Um... Yeah, it's my first one, right? I don't know why you've asked me, but uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, I'll try and give the answers as best I can. Well, to see how good you do, and you'll find out just if we ask you again. <laughs> uh, no worries, mate. But, um, yeah, no, I haven't got many stories. I've got a few, but I don't know if I can share any of them. So we'll start off by asking how you're finding the current season. Obviously, your first few months at Southport. Uh, to be honest, I'm loving it. Uh, it's the first... It's the first club I've been at, and I've been at a few, even though I'm 22. But uh, it's the first club I've actually felt like part of it. You know, like especially with the lads, like we've got quite a tight knit group already. I mean, we're into December, but you know, we're not even, you know, we're not even at the halfway point of the season yet. And I think we've been quite a, a tight group for a while. Everyone's got each other's back and everything like that, and everyone gets along. Um, so, as well as you know, playing regularly, you know, I'm lucky enough to you know find a space in the team. That no, I think I'm just happy, you know. And I, I this year especially, I tried to make the uh, like the change to be a little bit more positive. I've always like football's been a difficult one for me since I was, you know, like, since I turned pro at Wrexham, where like just I always let myself get down, like almost that, like, you know, football was the um, you know the be all and end all. I had nothing else, you know. Football weren't going well, life weren't going well, but. No, now, like especially at Southport, just like the, the type of club it is, you know, the fan base and the staff, I think. And, and you know, I'm not just talking about Liam and um, and Terry and, you know, Dan and Maka when he was there, but like just the staff behind the scenes as well. You know, yourself, you know, you've got Hamish and, and everyone else that you don't see a lot of the time, but without them, you know, without you guys, it'd fall apart. So I think Southport as a club has is, is probably been, you know, the best thing to happen to me in terms of football. How important is it that, especially at a non-league club, and especially during times of like crisis, like the pandemic, that the team does feel like a family and that you do feel comfortable around those players? I know, especially during early days of COVID, like the team might be the only people you're seeing. Yeah, well, to be honest, it makes it easy to turn up for training at JMO when it's raining. That's what, uh, <laughs> you know, when you actually look forward to going, when you look forward to being around the lads and you know, and working to win games and everything like that. They're the bits that you don't mind going to. You know, obviously I'm, I'm based on the world, so, you know, it's a long drive through the tunnel and, um, and up the coast, like, but I like doing it. I look forward to doing it. You know, there's there's not been a, a day, there's not been a training session or, you know, even when we were doing the runs in, in pre-season, there's not been a time where I've not looked forward to it. And I think that's a tell-all more than anything, is it's just, you know, it's... It, it's just really good and I, I can't speak for the other lads but it seems to be that everyone's on the same boat you know everyone's sort of pulling the, in the same direction and and as I say everyone's got each other's back so it's just brilliant to be honest with you I think I think it I, you can see it when you watch and it and you feel it when you play now since you've joined you've become like a secret weapon with a long throw <laughs> so you know just tell us a bit more how do you discover that you've got this ability just to launch it like Roy Delat into the box <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always had it to be, well I say always had it ever since I've started playing like 11 aside um, I was never in an academy particularly growing up you know I had like the odd like Tranmere Everton when I was like 8 or 9 but when football actually moves on to you know when it, it really matters or you know it can feel a little bit more significant to be in academies I was Sunday league so I was just picking a ball up and and chucking it and then finding out that it was getting further and further the more I grew and then I think at this point now I think it's more just a you know physics thing I've just got that long arms that 
you know, as soon as they go over me, it just flings the ball. So there's no technique, there's no special sauce. I mean, I've, I've seen videos of people, you know, like do flips to chuck it in and all that. But there's, it's literally just that I just try and throw it as far as I can. And then Liam's going, why don't you aim? I go, you know what, I might try that now. <laughs> so, um, but no, it's, I mean, it, it helps. You know, it keeps me in the team sometimes. I think at the start of the year, I had a couple of bad games and I was like, oh, might, might get pulled out. But, you know, you throw an assist into uh, into the box. It's one of those things, just an extra dimension. But, you know, you only get so many throws in a game, so you've got to be able to play football as well. So we're not going to see you uh, do any backflips as you block <laughs> in the box? I don't think so. I'll leave that to uh, to Connor and maybe a few of the other lads, you know, and uh, not that flexible. And to be fair, it is getting to the stage now where you see teams passing out for a corner kick rather than a throw-in. So, you know, it must be it must be have a few teams scared of you now. Well, I don't know. To be honest, obviously, like, I don't know a load of people in, in this league, but, you know, I've played with a few and the ones we've come up against and it's sort of like, you know, teams are preparing for it, you know. And um, I think it probably just because it's a different way for the ball to come in, isn't it? Like, usually with a, with a cross or a free kick or corner or whatever, it's coming in and you can kind of judge it the same way you would the others. You know, it's just different angles or whatever. But I think the throw, I mean, some of them, I'm, you know, I'm dropping them from space. You know, like they come up and they come down. It's like a rocket. But, you know, other times they come in flat and that doesn't really happen. And so I think it's just, uh, you know, it's it's unfamiliar, isn't it, for a lot of teams. Um, I, I, I remember watching you know, Stoke back in the day and I don't particularly like to, limit myself, you know, to comparisons of Rory the Lap or what have you. But I used to watch it and think, you know what? Like that is, as you say, it's a little weapon, you know. And I'm not the only one. I mean, I do most of the run into the corners and what have you, but like Doily can chuck it. Charlie Oliver can chuck it as well. You know, we're not limited to, you know, just me. Um, even though my shoulders feel it sometimes. But um I think knowing that the ball can always come into the box at whatever point, you're always going to create a chance. And I think especially with the lads up top, you know, they're always on the ball. They're always competing for, you know, things in the air. Um, you know, things can happen. And if you can get, a, you know, one goal every couple of games just off a, a throw-in chucked into the box, you know, you can build on it. You really can. And with the power you chuck it with, I think sometimes, but else someone's wound him up before a match. <laughs> Getting some that's anger it. out with that ball. <laughs> that's it, is it? It's me, uh, it's me escape footy, so... Just chuck everything to the ball. You can tell if I've had a bad week at school if, uh, if it goes a little bit further. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we get into your football first, we'll establish which team you support or which team you used to support. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Southport fan, by all um, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan. Liverpool fan, I've been since I was a kid. My parents were particular. I mean, my mum's massive into football. Um, but kind of gave me the freedom to pick whatever team I wanted. So just luckily, I was about five or six when Liverpool won the Champions League in Istanbul, and I, I sort of went, yeah, I'll do that. Um, you know, I could get used to this. And then obviously, I think I cursed us for a bit. You know, we didn't end up winning much <laughs> um, for a while, but no, I'm thanking my lucky stars now. Yeah, I was in a same position where one of my earliest memories of football is the Istanbul final, and... You know, obviously, my family supported Liverpool. That's what truly made me fall in love. Yeah. And then what followed was like punishment, really. They always say, like, you know, when you support a club, can you see them lift a trophy? Think we've both been punished for that for years. Well, that's it. That's it, isn't it? You, uh, once you, I think, especially when it's something like a trophy, like, especially with the Champions League. When I was that young, I was just expecting it all the time. And I was just like, oh, this is what happens. You know, Liverpool win a trophy every year. And um, obviously, it's what a lot of people have been used to. But yeah, there was a period where we didn't, and um, you know, sort of had to get used to it. You sort of had to, well, you got the the real side of football then, didn't you? Where you know you could go and support the Chelsea's, the Man City's, and everything, but it's, I think it, it it means more when you've been through something, you know, when you've and obviously I'm only 22, so I've I've not been through much, um, but you know, like when you when you support a club like that, and you know, there's a little bit of a downturn, however however significant that is, um, it's always better when you come back on top. And so that, you know, I love being a Liverpool fan now. So you just mentioned Istanbul. So is that your first memory of football or do you have anything else that sticks out? Um, first memory of, of like football's impact. I remember like my mum uh, always used to take me to England games growing up. 
Um, so it was never it was never really club football. It was we went to Tranmere Rovers because that was our local club, and Mum was like, you know, you always follow your local club. So I've got a soft spot for Tranmere. Um, I used to go and watch them when I was in like secondary school and stuff. But other than that, like sort of like tossed by the wayside, Liverpool took over. But I used to go to Tranmere quite a lot, so I've got a load that I couldn't tell you what my first game was because I'm pretty sure my mum had me in the pram in the family section um, at Prenton Park. But I just remember always going. And then, you know, even just the small things, I couldn't, you know, couldn't really remember any significant sort of games or anything like that. I just remember players. So Ian Hume, Ian Goodison. My mate Ian Goodison was like my favourite player for, for years. Um, and I was like, oh, I want to be like him. And, you know, Jamie Carragher, I would, oh, I want to be like him, and, you know. Um, so I think my mum pegged me as a centre-back for, you know, from when I was young. But, um, but yeah, no, I just remember, like, the chip van, burger van. I remember the first time I had a burger with, like, onions, and if it sounds mad, but every time now that I come into a ground and I get that smell of, you know, like a, you know, a chip van or, you know, a burger van or whatever you want to call it, that's that's football to me. Strangely, it's it's the little things. It's the you know when the music comes on when you know teams are walking out and the first couple of times it happened for me when you know you you're walking out and all the fans are on their feet clapping you as you're walking out and stuff. That's surreal, you know. And that's always what I attribute to football is just like those significant moments, not particularly games, but but more just the the things that always were there. You know, if you've had a good week or bad week, and you know you're still going to be able to smell the burgers, you know, you're still going to be able to hear the music as the, as the lads walk out, and everyone's always going to clap when the team walks out. You know, it's very rare. I mean, unless you support like I don't know Everton or something, where the fans will boo you as you're walking out. But it, it's just those little moments of football. I think that's why it's so special. I, I do think that's why football's so special is because there's, there's nothing really else like it. What was it like after maybe going watching Tranmere and then? going to Anfield like do you notice a big difference in the sort of like the atmosphere because like no disrespect to Tranmere but of course like nothing really competes with never walk alone in all the football no it's um I think it's like anything I think I think football itself at different levels is is obviously it's the same sport but there's just there's a different aura about you know clubs like Liverpool and and, and those big clubs because I think probably just the number of people. You know, I imagine, you know, Prenton Park, you could, you could pack in a fair few thousand in there. Um, but it just feels, you know, when everyone's singing the same song, singing from the same hymn sheet, everyone's pulling in, like, in, you know, for one team. And um, I died, I remember the first time I walked out Anfield, I was, I was in the cop, and my mum managed to get some tickets from one of her friends, you know, never could get tickets ourselves, obviously, like, through demand and, you know, I think it's like a 50-year wait list for the season tickets or what have you. So it was always sort of like trying to get them from family friends, from, you know, people we knew. Remember, I mean, we managed to get someone on the cop, so that's my first game. And um, at, at the time, I was obviously too small, so the fella in front of us was massive, I remember. And he's um, he's obviously stood up to start singing You Never Walk Alone. He's lifted a scarf above his head, so I'm, I'm there, stood in the cop trying to see it for the first time. And um, and I can't see anything, you know, this fellow with the scarf in front of me, massive. And so I remember my mum just like put the seat down in the cop, said, go on, stand on it. So I went to stand on it and I'm watching it and I'm in awe. And, um, you know, I think that's probably the time I fell in love with Liverpool like properly. Um, and then next thing, you know, I'm going to step down as, you know, you'll never walk alone to finish him. And my foot gets stuck. In the in the seat, so like the the fold out seats, my foot's gone down, and obviously I'm not that tall, so I can't get myself out. I can't like balance out to pull it out. So there's me, like basically thinking I'm about to like lose my leg. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm only young, and uh, people are going, "You'll never walk alone," and I'm just thinking, "I'm never going to walk again." <laughs> this is what they're singing about, like completely misunderstanding. And um, but as I say, like they're they're the the games that you remember. You know, it's the little things around football. You know, what I mean. I used to be like, I used to call me Stato, where, you know, I could give you, you know, the breakdown of every single game and could tell you who's the assist leader, you know, the goal leader and who's creating the most chances and all this. I was obsessed with it, loved it. I always used to, like, look in the newspapers as well. Like, my granddad used to get a newspaper. I'd always highlight all the, the changes in the stats and everything like that. Um, I'd take it to games so that I could, you know, draw my own um, sort of, like, 
shot chart. I sound like a proper sad though, by the way, when I'm saying this, but that's that's what football was to me. It was just like I was obsessed, you know. I think like any young lad, I think from the ages of like four or five to I don't know, I don't even know, like 14, 15, that was all it was. You know, that was all my life was. I think I never I didn't I don't think I took a football shirt off. It doesn't matter where I went, weddings funeral like anything I was always in a, in a either a Liverpool shirt an England shirt or some kind of classic footy kept me around that I got me I bet you're awful to play uh, A to Z football against <laughs> well if you give me a certain if you give me sort of noughties footballers then yeah I'll beat you but anything after sort of 2012 is that's out of my brain that can't remember anything but no it was it was it was that point you know when you're just you're starting to get into football that's the bit that I um, that's when I was that's everything to me. That's when football was everything. Was you, uh, this is a wild guess, but was you a big collector of match tax back in the day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I almost bankrupted my mum, I think, one year. I was I was desperate to get the 100 Club Gerard, I remember. Desperate. And obviously, I didn't understand that, you know, you, you're never going to get one in a pack or whatever. Um, but I, I was adamant that my mum always had to buy me some. And I managed to swindle some at my nan and my granddad. I was always basically doing odd jobs for people, like sweeping up or whatever on the premise that they'd give me a couple of packs of match attacks. Yeah, I remember I had books filled with it. And for ages, I didn't have this 100 Club Gerard. Anyway, I managed to get this Rooney card. My mate was a United fan and he had the Gerard. So we just swapped and then that's how I got it. And then as soon as I got that card, stop, stop collecting them. <laughs> just stopped. I was like, you know what? That's it. That's me done. Just look at that 100 Club Gerard and then. And that was me, but no, honestly, everything like that. The uh, what is it for the World Cups? The I've got booklets or the the panini. stickers. Yeah, the panini stuff I've got in the in the attic upstairs. I've got. Oh, I don't even know. Probably most World Cups leading up to this one. Just either full or almost full. Just the panini stickers. Just proper proper little weirdo kid. I was a football. Just obsessed. Well, just thinking back, like obviously kids now. Like it's ultimate team trading ultimate team cards. But yeah. like we were really big on like our generation going into school with our books. I remember yeah. I once got Gerald and Torres shiny cards in a pack and I was absolutely buzzing. Yeah. I'll send them to you, Gerald 100 Club. I'm like, I was going around everyone in school trying to find someone who had a spur and eventually yeah, got one as well. But now it's like just all on, all on the Xbox. So it's a bit, a bit sad, really, that kids don't have these books to fill anymore. Like, and I, to be honest, it's probably the same thing. I think it's regardless of whether you can hold it in your hand or you can um, see it on a screen, it's exactly the same thing. It's just collecting, but at least they get to play with them. You know, all we could do was go, I've got this card, and then that was the end of the conversation. At least <laughs> at least now you can kind of like attribute some kind of, I don't know, like you can actually play with them. It's like, it was literally one of those things where you look back, I look back now and I go, I wouldn't change it for the world, but what was I doing? Like, what was I doing? Five pieces of card for a quid. <laughs> Yeah, literally. That's it, isn't it? Imagine if someone just came up to you and went, buy you five pieces of car for a quid. How quickly would you tell them to go away? Just because it had someone's face on it, if it was a little bit shiny. Oh, honestly, I'll give you as much money as you want. So, we'll move on to kits now. Do you remember the first kit you had as a kid? And did you have a name on the back? Oh, yeah, well, what kit didn't I have? Um, I think my first kit ever, being honest with you, was a Gary Neville England kit with the number two on the back. And I think, I, well, I say I think, I know for a fact my mum's still got it. She pulls it out every now and then. Um, but this is at the point where I didn't get any choice, I don't think. I think this was just put on me. And, you know, the Neville 2 shirt must have been a big one at the time. Um, but, no, that was my first ever one bought for me. I remember the first one that I ever bought before I'd, you know, before I'd even decided to be a Liverpool fan was I'd found out that Thierry Henry had the same birthday as me. And obviously, at the time, he was light in the Premier League up. He was, you know, the best player by far. And um, I remember the the maroon Arsenal kit. I can't remember from what year, but essentially, I, I remember I was like begging for it off my mum. So I was like, "Oh, me and Henry, we share the same birthday. We share the same birthday." As if that mattered, you know, any 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 kind of it. But I remember getting that that shirt, that Henry shirt. That you know, and I just I, I still think it's one of the most beautiful kits ever now. And just like the style of player he was as well, I think everything about like Thierry Henry, especially at that time, that was that was the first one I remember asking for properly. And then I've got a catalogue of them. I've got pretty much every Liverpool shirt from 
2005, six through to, I've got the most recent one as well. Someone bought it for me for my birthday. So probably I've got 2006 onwards. But yeah, no, England shirts. I've got, I've got all sorts. I've got pretty much every World Cup shirt other than the recent ones. Um, and they're all sort of hung up, ready for you know, showing the show and tell to the grandkids and however long I um, But I, I think it, it's quite good to, to look back on sometimes, you know, just to see who your idols were at the time. Because um, I look back and I remember how just like in awe of Thierry Henry I was. And then moving on to like the likes of David Beckham, um, he was a big one for me. Steven Gerrard obviously was like the biggest probably. As soon as I saw him score that header, I think in Istanbul, I think that was it. I think that was, you know, Gerrard was everything to me. You know, he was the Liverpool captain. He eventually moved on to England captain. Like it was just, that was the dream. And so he was the one that, you know, was like my idol, basically. Is he a future Liverpool manager in your eyes? I think, I, I hope so at some point. I mean, he, he's turned Aston Villa around quite quickly, and he? he obviously did a really good job at Rangers. So I'd like to see it at some point. But to be honest, I'm happy with Klopp for the next 25 years if we can keep him. So um, I'm in no rush, like, no rush at all. Is it probably a harder job for Gerald to take now than it would have been if he took over from Brendan Rodgers in 2015? Um, I think probably just expectation. Expectation's a big thing in football, isn't it? I think once you set the bar, and obviously Klopp's set probably the highest bar you can, then that's that's what you've got to follow. I think that's why people struggled following, you know, um, like the Rafa Benitez sort of era. I think, you know, he wins the Champions League, and yes, he, you know, everything else wasn't as perfect as, you know, the, the Bob Paisies and the Bill Shankleys and, and Daglish and all the ones that came before him. But it's still, you know, the Champions League's the highest bar you can set um, other than the Premier League. But, you know, I think that's probably why I think it's expectation one. I think so to answer your question again, probably, yeah. I think it's it's probably going to be harder for him after Klopp than after Rodgers, just because of what's been won and, and the standard and the consistency of what's been set. Of course, probably uh, quite a few years off that, yeah. Klopp's still got a quite a lengthy contract. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. But equally, hopefully, it's the same debate that Klopp's been successful in his last few years and it is still a hard job. You know, you, you, want it to be a, you want it to be a good job to take over. I'm sure Gerald won't have it any other way if he was in the line for it. Oh, that's it, isn't it? I think it, it's almost, it writes itself, doesn't it? I mean, football's just stories. That's all football is. It's how can you write stories? Or sometimes the stories write themselves, and I think that's what that's what it is with Gerard, isn't it? It's the second come in, and then you know, I mean, I always think, you know, when commentators say, "Oh, you can't write it," you can, you can. Like, imagine Gerard comes back, wins the Premier League, and then that would be like the fairy tale for him, isn't it? Um, I think for a lot of people, you know, just to get that 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 one thing that was eluding him um, for that time, all that all that sort of commitment and service he gave, so. Um, as I say, hopefully at some point, but not going to kick Klopp out the door just yet. I just want him to beat United with Villa and go up to Old Trafford camera again and give it a big smooch. <laughs> I think that would be absolutely <laughs> iconic <laughs> if he just ran down the touch line. It would be brilliant. It would be brilliant. He's got a chance, though. He's got a chance. So, of course, you mentioned some of your playing heroes before in terms of the centre-backs. You are quite yeah. a tall lad. So was centre back always the role for you? Um, to be honest, yeah, I think I've always stayed at the back. I think, um, I mean, when you're playing like seven aside when you're a kid and stuff, I think I just ran everywhere. Um, but I, I worked out I could kick it quite far when I was quite young. So I like, saw like six, seven, eight, I could kick it the furthest out of most of my teammates. So you know, you end up getting put at the back because you know, otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to get the ball at all. Um, but I've I've always just I've I've loved the the art of defending more than anything. It, it sounds stupid because you don't get paid nearly as much. You don't get any of the uh, any of the plaudits and um, and anything like that. But I just I, I remember watching players like Sammy Ipia, Jamie Carragher, Maldini, Nesta, like even some of the ones that I remember watching Cannavaro back in the day as well. Like just watching all of those, and there was an art to it. It was. It was one of the, as I say, like I was a stato, so I used to, I always used to count like the interceptions of 
Champions League games when I could watch Maldini or, you know, anything like that. And it was always there in the right place at the right time. And it looked effortless. Um, and I think that was probably it, is that, you know, you can have all the, the engines in the world in midfield and all the class up front and on the wing and stuff. But I think the best defenders, it just looks easy. You know, it looks like they knew what was happening all along. And um, like they're the smartest player on the pitch. And I think that's what I fell in love with more than anything. It was just the fact that they could just dictate everything. doesn't matter if, if they were on the ball, if, if the other team had the ball, they were in control of the game. Um, and so that's kind of why I've fallen back there. I think as well, I can't catch, but I think if I could catch, I'd, I'd probably be stuck in goal. Um, but the ball always slips through my hands and it hits me face anyway. So I guess that's why I'm stuck at centre-back. I'm grateful for that. I don't think uh, goalkeeping's for everyone. <laughs> No, I don't think so. I think, I, I mean, you have a look at Cam, some of the, the saves he pulls off and stuff, you've got to be a special kind of crazy to even try some of them. So, um, yeah, not for me. Do you remember the first game you played in? And I presume it was that centre-back as well. What, do you mean, like, ever in football or...? Ever in football, you know, if you can remember it. Uh, to be honest, I think I just, I think like most kids, I just chase the ball around. I don't think I particularly had the position. I think I was just obsessed with getting the ball and, and being the one to score the goals. I think every kid is. But I think certainly as I got a little bit older and I started watching more football, I think definitely that was when I put myself into my own position. Um, I mean, clubs have tried to play me higher up the pitch before. It doesn't tend to go very well. You know, Connors Key put me up front against TNS for half an hour and didn't really do us any good. And um, I played you know, wing for a few teams as well. Um, but it always ends up to be the same thing. They just kick it long and I've got to flick it on anyway. So, you know, it's it's basically the same thing. You're just heading the ball in a different direction. So do you remember what your first pair of boots were when you were growing up? Did you go for anything in particular? Uh, first pair of boots, through choice, through choice, I remember would have been like the old style Predators, you know, with like the big tongue on them. I remember they were the first ones that I, I took like through, you know, real sort of, I want that for Christmas, I want that for my birthday. And um, I remember getting them and uh, and just not wanting to wear them, you know, and just, just looking at these boots that, you know, that Gerard wore, Beckham wore, and just thinking how beautiful they were. And then finally getting them onto my feet and then I, I didn't want to take them off. You know, they could get as muddy as you wanted. And, and you know, my mum make sure I clean them and stuff. And um, but it was one of them. I wanted to go to school in them. Everything, you know, it was just once once you get those boots and you know you think that you're you know a proper player, then uh, well, that was it. I remember the Preds. I'm, I'm a big Tiempo guy now. I think they're my ones at the moment. But I think they're just more, more comfort. Otherwise, I get you know my feet are in tatters otherwise. So um, yeah, I've gone from the Preds as soon as they stopped doing them. Um, a few Copper Mundials, you know, old school. Um, mainly because we had to wear black boots at Wrexham. So I had I got myself a few pairs of them, and now I'm on the tempos now. So I think what you mentioned before about cleaning the boots, I think that might have been the worst part growing up. I just getting back oh, yeah. the muddy games, scraping all this mud out, and it being absolutely horrible. This is it, isn't it? Well, I remember I used to just use like tea towels to rub off the mud, like thinking that would be you know fine as long as the boots are clean. Nothing else matters. But I was going through like six tea towels a week, so <laughs> don't think my mum was best pleased. Like, but yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it, where I think especially now, like you just gotta take care of them. Gotta take care of them. Like sometimes I'll I'll leave my boots in my bag after a game, you know, especially an evening game on a Tuesday. Next time you open up the bag, it's not a it's not a nice welcome, is it? So I mean cleaning them's important, isn't it? So when I move on to your career, and I'm right saying you started off life with Wrexham of all teams. Yeah, um, as I say, I was I was pretty much just Sunday league for ever. Basically, I didn't really um, had a few trials here and there, but none of them really worked out. And then I played for my county team um, and got a trial at Wrexham through that. And then, yeah, just sort of kept getting asked to stay. Basically, I couldn't get rid of me for a bit. Um, so I did like one year of A-levels on the side and then I got offered the, you know, a, a two-year um, YTS. Did that there. And then signed a two-year pro there. So I was there for a good five or six years. So I you know, loved it there, to be honest. Like growing up, I think I think it was the right time to leave when I did. 
looking back. But no, I think it helped me grow up. I'm more grateful just for the people I've met through there. I've got like a lot of a lot of people that I I attribute a lot of um, a lot of personal growth to there. Um, it's like Joey Jones is a legend there. Steve Wright, Van Nolan, um, a lot of names that like people might not recognise. I think Joey obviously and and Wrighty are, are Liverpool like, ex Liverpool players. They've both had like unbelievable careers. But just every coach really that was that was there at that time was was just brilliant for me um, in terms of both football development and like maturing as a guy as well. Yeah, it must have helped you growing up because obviously going to a new place when you're quite young as well and. Obviously, you get to see the fans and see how much it means to them, especially when you've not been around that before. There's a lot of passionate fans. One that springs to mind is Bootlegger. So I'm sure that was quite yeah. a few characters like that knocking about. Yeah, it was um it was it was really good, you know. It was uh it was a good time. Like, I had um had some really good like experiences that I've you know I've got things I'll never forget from there. But uh, yeah, as I say, like it was it was definitely like a good time to leave. I did, as I say, like especially, I, I always think now. Like I say to what my mum said to me the other day, she was like, "You did leave a couple of years too early. Imagine if you, imagine if you'd just stayed when the when the Hollywood money came in, and uh, you know, you know, things could have been different. But at the same time, I, I like where I'm at now." Is your mum just thinking about meeting Ryan Reynolds? Uh, no, I don't think Ryan Reynolds is her type. Actually, I think if uh, if it had been like a little bit more of a uh, Salford thing, I think if David Beckham had been involved, then it might be a different story. I know, obviously, at the time you played in some quite good stadiums. I mean, one of them was Ibrox. So, what was that experience like? Yeah, well, surreal to be honest with you, because um, obviously it wasn't. We didn't play like Rangers first team. We played like the the Colts, I think they were called. Um, basically their resis as far as I could work out. But they had like John Flanagan playing for them, like ex-Liverpool and, you know, a few other big names that you sort of, you're in the tunnel at Ibrox and you're looking across and you're going, like, these are people I've watched on TV. I remember John Flanagan's goal against Tottenham. I remember celebrating that like like no one's business and um, just looking at him in the tunnel and thinking, I'm on, I'm going to share the same pictures you here. Like someone's... Some of the time have gone very wrong or very well. I couldn't quite work out what it was. But no, that's true. I mean, I was, I was captain that game as well. Um, so, like, the whole experience, just, you know, walking through the halls. I don't know. Have you, have you been Ibrox yourself? I've never been. It's almost like it's just a snapshot in time. And when you walk in, it could be, like, the 1800s when you, when you first sort of, like, when you're in there, you just feel the history. You just feel, like... You're somewhere that that real football's been played, that like real me- like real memories have been played. And we're walking through the halls, the the referees' place to do like the the pre-match talk or whatever. Just like opening all these doors, and you know you're just seeing like pictures of of previous Rangers teams celebrating you know, victories, celebrating trophies, and then there's like, there's just a massive picture of the Queen on the as you walk in. There's just that mass, like honestly, the biggest picture of the Queen I've ever seen. I didn't know whether to bow or whether to like drop my head or whatever, but it was um, it honestly surreal. And then obviously it's a dipped pitch, so as you walk in, the the stadium looks massive from the outside, but when you're in there, and obviously when you're when you're on pitch level, it is probably the most sort of intimidating is not the word because it weren't full, um, so I, I don't really get intimidated by empty seats, but. Like you could tell that. Imagine that on a on an old firm. You know that's what I imagined when I was walking out. Obviously, you know I'd, I'd love to play in like the biggest games. I love big occasions. You know it's it's why I fell in love with football. So you're walking out and you just like you can imagine like the atmosphere. And um, there was a bit of a test the atmosphere anyway. I think there was probably like, there was a couple thousand at least, maybe up to five thousand. Like Wrexham had travelled well, and there was a fair few Rangers fans as well. And leading the team out and stuff. I had a lot of like great players in that team as well that I've got a lot of respect for and and you know being able to lead players like that out um and lead them out onto the pitch at Ibrox it, it was really special and it's a moment I'll, I'll never forget um and especially for my mum as well like as I say like my mum's probably the biggest influence in football and, and in life generally so to be able to give her a moment like that you know where she can watch me walking out at Ibrox when you know she stood in there in the cold and the snow and the rain and you know everything you know growing up and, and now she's got like quite a cushy seat in, in Ibrox. Well, no, it's 
we lost the game, but I mean, I think in about 40 years when I can tell the story to, you know, to future generations and stuff, I think I'll probably tell them that we won and I scored a hat-trick. No one's going to remember the Iron Brew Cup, so. It's too hard to look on Wikipedia for it. It's not going to be recorded. <laughs> but better for you as well, obviously, like, because you are a football geek, if you don't want me saying, but uh, thinking back to your childhood, it would have blown your mind to be able to go somewhere like that. I th- to be honest, I think even if even if you'd have told me back then that I'd be like playing in front of crowds around a thousand, uh, that would have been like the best thing ever for me. You know, just to you know be celebrated. You know, when you score a goal, I'm lucky that I scored the goal this year. And that feeling, you know, it's just um. I mean, Carver gets it every week, so I guess he's gone through withdrawal after one game. But like just that 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 full body rush you get, you know, when. You know, you're the one that's that scored that goal, or you know, I even get it when um, the lads score. You know, especially now, like celebrating as a team, and you realise that you are actually you're playing for something. You know, you're playing not only for yourselves and for three points. But, you know, you're playing for entertainment value. You know, there's people who pay good money to come and watch you play football. So the best thing you can do for them is just give them what you got um, and try and entertain them as best as possible. But yeah, now going back to it, if you'd have told me. When I was six or seven, that I'd be playing football at 22 at a, at a very good level and having a, having a great support around me, I think. I'd have bitten your hand off for it. Take it, Ibox, the best days you played at? Yeah, I think it is. I played the, um, at the Reebok at the time. Um, we had like a cup game when I was in, in, in school counties. We played there. We won, a, we won a cup there. That was nice. That was the first stadium I'd been in that was I was genuinely sort of like, well, this is... This is a different level, you know, from the pitch. It's different when, you, when you're from the stand. So, um, as I say, like me and my mum have got like a bucket list of stadiums to go and see you know, before we die or whatever. So we used to travel all around. So I've been to, you know, the Rico uh, when Cov were there. Um, been to all sort of Deepdale. I've been everywhere, like Old Trafford for England games. And so it was when you start playing on those pitches, it's a different perspective you know, of everything. So when you're looking down and you're within a crowd, it's sort of, not every stadium feels the same, but you get a similar perspective on things. I always look back to when I'm in situations like that, I always try and find out like what was the most profound like memory that someone in that space would have seen before you. And then it's sort of that, it's that whole perspective thing where you go, there's actually some history here. So like I remember, I remember going to Wembley and I'd, I've been to old Wembley, but not not that I'm aware of, I went when I was, you know, very little. Me and my granddad taught me, but I remember being told, and I've seen the pictures, and you know, you're just thinking, there's been so many things that have happened in that stadium, and and there's been so many things that have happened in New Wembley as well, that you just, I, I you know, it, that's the bit for me that that's my link with football. That's the thing that I don't think I'll ever lose with football is, is being aware of the impact that it has on everyone. You know, that you could be there for a game where Liverpool win four 0 against Stoke, um, for example. But people have been in that stadium when we beat Barcelona 4-0, you know, and then got through to, you know, the next round of Champions League. And like th- even though you can't really compare those two games, it's exactly the same place. And I think that's why stadiums are, are, are so special, especially to loyal fan bases. Um, it's because it's a repetitive thing. Every time you go back, you're reminded of those times. Um, and every game is an opportunity for a new memory. So obviously that's a positive reflection from you about stadiums. Uh, what's the worst stadium you've been to? Well, I mean, I've, I've played on some bad pitches, let me tell you. Lex and Wrexham. That's, if you've never been to Lex and Wrexham, count yourself lucky. That's that's a special one. Um, obviously Sunday League, but yeah, that, that when we used to train there is the only reason why it's the first one that comes to mind. Um, other than that, I'm sure you know. I'm one of them where like, I just I, I try and I, I look at the I look at every stadium as like a new one. I think the the current ones that you know just all look a little bit boxy. So I'd say actually Salford. I didn't play, but uh, I went there with Wrexham uh, when they played each other in in non-league a couple of years ago, and it just feels a bit corporate. It just feels a little bit like. You know, it's built. It, they're clearly building for, you know, progression or whatever they want to take it on. So, what you know, what's the point in investing in a really nice stadium now? Uh, but it it did just feel that you know, like we were getting changed in ship containers. 
and uh, and stuff like that. So that that was probably I think again going back to it like expectations, you know, and like you you hear about all the money into it and you hear about how well they're doing and the final the leagues and stuff and you go and you're expecting like oh, we're gonna get you know this will be this will be decent and then it's just another stadium and I think that's all you can say you know to, I don't think any stadium's bad but I think a lot of them just lack that special feeling. Of course, your time at Wrexham came to an end. You moved on to Curzon. Of course, COVID caused some disruption to your time there as well. So what's it like for a non-league player? Obviously, you've left one club, you've gone to another and it's just been so like, disrupted and all you want to do is play footy, really. Yeah, it was um, it was strange. Like, I, I loved Curzon when I was there. I loved the lads and, and you know, it's, it's, it's actually quite a good setup, you know, where they are. But yeah, it, it was strange coming out of full time. Like obviously, I was, I was full time at Wrexham and um, getting asked to do quite a lot. Like even when I was on loan, I was getting asked to come back in and train to make sure the numbers were up and everything like that. Um, and so going from from that experience, having the gap um, due to COVID, the lockdowns and what have you, and then coming into part time, it it just it felt almost you know like I just hit a wall, and it took a while for me to go because or to for, to get going again. Sorry, because. Obviously, the, the season was a bit stop-start anyway with, you know, teams getting, you know, the, the one COVID case and then you had to have however long off. And so, like, we'd go, like, a week without a game, two weeks without a game, and then you'd end up having, like, three in a row and then it'd be another break and then another break. And it, it just didn't flow. But it you never really got into it last year. Couldn't get going, especially being part-time, like, training twice a week. Sometimes training would get called off because someone was ill and we didn't want to, make sure we want to make sure that the game was on a Saturday so you end up like going to the gym to to do your own training and, and stuff like that and so yeah it was as a non-league player in, in COVID it was strange because it was just that, that that thing that you you gave your evenings to you you know for us it was Tuesday and Thursday and then a Saturday it wasn't reliable it, you didn't know it was going to be there but I mean we made the best of it we had a good time there were a great group of lads there really really got on with them but you know, as I say, like it was, it was just a strange time. I think for everyone, um, and everyone had to sort of adapt to it. Yeah, it was strange. I think is the way to put it. I think obviously everyone would have had a different experience within football, but probably for you, like quite a young player, just trying to make your impression on the league and try and move on with your career. So I think it would have been hard for you in that respect, thinking you might have been losing time that you might not get back. It, it, yeah, as, as you say, like it's a good point. So I remember at Wrexham, I barely played. Um, even when I went on loan, I sort of, I'd, I'd get 30 minutes here, 30 minutes there, maybe start a game and then get brought off. So I could never get into the rhythm of it, even at Wrexham. I think the most I ever started in a row was two games. And so like, I'd, from when I stopped playing youth football, when I was 18, 19, that I didn't play regular football again until this year so like this this year with uh, Southport is the first time that I've played more than two games in a row for however long and then it's I think I've already made more appearances for Southport than I have for any other club combined which I'm very grateful for you know I think finally getting that opportunity and sort of being trusted with it is is something I'm, I'm really grateful for it, it's one of them playing football is all you want to do it's all you want to do. I think any player can testify to it. You know, you want to be in the team. It doesn't matter how old you are. You, you think that you're good enough to be in the team. And I think that's the thing in football is that it's a confidence game. You know, if you're not confident in your ability, if you're not confident in being able to, to get into the team, then you're not going to train well and then you're not going to play well and then you're going to keep yourself out of the team. So you've always kind of got to keep this balance of making sure your ego don't go too high so that you stop doing the right things but making sure that you're always sort of back yourself. Um, and that's the bit that I've, I struggled with the most last year, I think, with, with it being so stop-start, is I was like, I can't get going. I've not had games. just don't think I'm going to be able to do it. I don't think football's for me and all, all these doubts that come into your mind. And it just takes, a, you know, a positive bit of support just to sort of reaffirm, you know, who you are, your abilities and everything like that. And then once you believe in yourself, you can kick on, you can be as good as, as you allow yourself to be. Of course, last year you had that loan spell in Connor's Key, wasn't it? I did that sort of help you just maybe just find your feet again before a permanent move elsewhere. And of course, different league, Welsh league. So how do you find that? It was, it was as I say, it was interesting. The 
Um, the gaffer there and the assistant, Craig Harrison, actually did quite a lot for me. Um, because otherwise, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have a, a, had a chance to play football. Wouldn't have been training either. So I would have kind of just been left in the lurch a little bit um, without a club. So I went there under the impression of trying to help them win the league, which was their only goal. And it was made quite obvious that, you know, that was the expectation. So that was the standard to me. And at the time, I think I wasn't quite prepared for that. I think I'd just come from a stop start, sort of didn't know what was coming or going, everything like that with myself at Curzon, to then getting thrown into this, you know, sort of high expectation club and and I, I think I held my own but I think I, I was sort of a little bit rabbit in the headlights I was like oh I've not been at this for six months and I felt the difference so it took me a couple of weeks to get used to it and I think at that point you know some of the lads had played themselves into form played themselves into fitness and then just they kept winning and they kept winning and they kept winning and they kept winning and at that point it was it was sort of like well why would I play you know and you, you, sometimes with managers you can't expect to yeah, you can't expect them to change the team purely because the team's winning. So, you know, don't you know try and fix something that's not broken. Um, so it was, it was weird at Conorsky because there's a lot of travelling, you know, throughout the entirety of Wales. There was a lot of commitment. You know, like it was the first day I'd stayed over again. You know, I'd, I'd not done that for a year or so. Um, and then eventually, obviously, they won the league, but it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like I won the league. You know, I felt like I was almost just an extra in, in everyone else's movie and as much as, you know, I get reminded sometimes by my mum, oh, no, you, you have won trophy, you have won in the league. I haven't really. It's not really my trophy that I won. I was just there. And I've got a picture with it and I've got the memories and stuff, but it just gave me the, the drive that I want to go in and, and win trophies like that. I want to go and push for playoffs with Southport. I want to go and see if we can go and do something special, you know, just because I've had a taste, but I want it to be to be like my team's success. That does bring us to where you are now. So, what was your first impression of Southport, and of course, meeting Liam and the lads? Hey, my first impression of Southport, Liam had me almost sick on Crosby Beach. Pretty sure that was my first impression of Southport. So, um, to be honest, I think from the first day that I even met Liam, I knew that it was going to be a little bit different. That I was going to have a little bit more belief and a little bit more support than what I'd been used to, and that only gave me confidence. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in just sort of always supporting someone, you know, whether they're doing well or whether they're struggling. It's just, you know, support them. It doesn't have to just be in football, but outside of football. You know, one of the biggest things about non-league that I've found out is, especially when you're at part-time, is that lads have, you know, other commitments that sometimes trump football. You know, um, everyone's got families, everyone's got jobs, you know, on the outside that they're the things that support the family, really. And football is just a bonus. And so it's it's about like man management. It's about just treating people as as people rather than as assets. And I think that's the one thing that that this club does so well. I think is that everyone's an individual, and yet we're all pushing for the same thing. You know, we're a collective, and it happy it goes from the staff down. You know, through all the lads, everyone's there. If you need to have a little word with someone, everyone will take it in the right way. You know, people's there to support you if you've had a bad game. So I remember. I gave I gave a goal away, and I'm, I, to be honest, I blame myself for both goals. But at Chorley away in the cup, um, I had a stinker of a game, and next thing you know, you know, I've I've been brought off, and um, next thing you know, like you know, you've got an arm around the shoulder from one, you've got someone telling you that they expect better from you because you've shown you can do better, and that's you know that's the thing. It, it's the it's the being reminded that it's okay to have a bad game, but you've got to kick on, then you can't just, you know, swallow, you can't wallow in, you know, in self-pity and what have you, you've just got to forget it and move on, because in this league, especially, you've got a game coming on the Tuesday, and if you haven't got one on the Tuesday, it's definitely one next Saturday, so you haven't got too long to to sort of be down about it, you've just got to keep kicking on, and so that's that's what it is with Southport, it's a, it's a special club, I think, even when we were struggling at the start of the year, we had the support of everyone, you know, the, the crowd was still coming into the, you know, coming through the gate. The songs are still being sung, no matter what the weather, no matter how far the games were. And we always know that, you know, we've got that support, we've got that extra push, that extra 1% that the other teams don't really have. You know, I think pretty much every team that we've played against, even in the even in the Cups, and we've had, you know, Alti come and stuff, I think, you know, Southport have been the loudest. 
and it's all been positive as well. So even when we were struggling at the start of the year, it was all positive because I think they could see that we were just working through some things. You know, everyone was still working for each other. Everyone was still working their ass off, you know, like really putting in a shift. Um, and now it's it's finally coming good, but we can't can't get complacent on that. You know, we can't expect um, results to come just because they've started to, to benefit us because that's when it turns quickly. It's a good position to be in. But it just means that that that, that loss is getting closer, and, and the more that we can push that away and keep the positive results coming, you know, Liam Liam saying it like we could do something special this year, um, but we've just got to take it one game at a time, um, and we've just got to have each other's back like we are, and and you never know. Well, that's a nice place to end the podcast, but we do have one more question for you, and that is if you could change any of the football first, anything we've discussed, what would it be? I think I changed my first kit not being a Gary Neville t-shirt. I think that's what I changed. The classic Jamie Carragher, who wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. Well, <laughs> we should introduce you to introduce him to you. If you're Gary Neville, <laughs> that's it, isn't it? Well, I want my choice, but you know, to be honest, if I can have a career anything close to Gary Neville, I'll be a happy man. Which top would you want as your first one instead? You know what? I love the. England, I wasn't born, so I don't know whether I could have had it as my fact, but I love the England 98 jersey. Love that. I think I'd have had that. Little baby one, maybe. <laughs> oh, may, yeah, maybe. Or to be honest, I might try and get a retro one now and just pretend that that was my first one. <laughs> well, Doug, thank you very much for joining today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I appreciate your pal. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Football First podcast. Don't forget to leave a review and give us a like. Next week we'll be joined by a former Port player. See you soon.